Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. Has all the contradiction on diet and nutrition left you feeling frustrated and confused? Should we follow a paleo diet and eat like a caveman or go with a plant-based diet and eat like a gorilla? Should we starve ourselves on the latest intermittent fasting diet or go keto diet and eat lots of fats and low carbs? What about grains? Are they good for us or as some experts now claim a leading cause of disease? All of this confusion is enough to make your head spin. It's the reason I wrote my number one national best-selling book, Food Sanity, How to Eat in a World of Fads and Fiction. Today, I'm going to break through the culinary conundrum and finally answer the big question, what are we supposed to eat? Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. You know, for 18 years as a syndicated television health expert and radio host, I've interviewed hundreds of scientists, doctors, and best-selling authors hoping to share information with my audience so they can reach their optimal health. Unfortunately, that's not what happened. Instead, every guest would contradict the previous expert, leaving everyone, including me, more confused. From proponents of a vegan paleo-mediterranean to gluten-free and low-carb diet, the opinions are as different as night and day. Oatmeal, you know, it used to help balance blood sugar and lower cholesterol. Now guess what? We're told to avoid grains because they spike our blood sugar and raise our cholesterol. Coffee used to be considered unhealthy. Stay away from it. Well, not anymore. Today we're told it helps prevent disease. Eggs used to cause high cholesterol. Now research shows eggs contain lecithin, which helps lower cholesterol. You know, while most health experts seem to disagree, there's actually one thing they all agree on. Food has the power to heal the body or make it sick. The key is figuring out what should be at the end of our fork. That's the question I answer in my number one national best-selling book, Food Sanity, How to Eat in a World of Fads and Fiction. Now, during my research, I explored people around the world that live healthy well beyond 100 years of age, people that are alive and thriving at 106, 110, even 118 years old, many of them still hiking, swimming, mountain climbing, and even having sex. I also read thousands of scientific studies. Now, unfortunately, I learned we can't solely rely on science because it changes so often, sometimes weekly. Plus, many of the research is biased. Now, I spell that B-U-Y-A-S-E-D, meaning it's bought and paid for. So I made it a point to exclude the paid-for, unreliable scientific studies that I found during my quest for answers. Then I explored the biology of the body, and if we're designed to eat it, I top it off with a little old common sense and how to tap into our instincts and make up our own mind. All right. Let's start by exploring two of the most popular diets out there, the plant-based diet and the paleo diet. You know, few subjects raise more controversy and heated opinions than food politics. The plant-based diet versus paleo diet debate, you know, it's, it's as diverse as the Republicans versus Democrats. And while vegans and vegetarians believe a diet void of meat is the secret to optimal health and longevity, proponents of the paleo diet say to be healthy, we need to consume animals. Both the paleo and the plant-based diets, they do have some similar beliefs, though, like avoiding dairy, eating pure food, void of chemicals, hormones, and pesticides. However, the paleo diet says we need to eat like our cavemen ancestors did, which includes a lot of red meat. Well, actually, 
That's based on a serious distortion of human history. You see, these cavemen, they're portrayed as big and strong, savage hunters, able to stab and kill mammoth-sized animals and carry their dead carcasses over their shoulders. Well, that may be how the cartoons and the movies portray them, but it's far from the truth. You see, cavemen were actually short and stocky. In fact, they were not much taller than 5 feet, and they weighed 171 pounds. The size of the body was an evolutionary adaptation for cold weather, since this extra fat consolidated heat. Now, according to the National Institutes of Health, this is considered clinically obese. A short, obese man certainly would not have the speed and endurance it would take to run fast enough to hunt and kill a mammoth lion or a bear. You see, cavemen, they were not the predator hunters they've been portrayed to be. In my book, I share evidence that they were the hunted, not the hunters. They carried weapons for self-defense, folks. And using forensic analysis, science has shown that our cavemen ancestors ate primarily a plant-based diet. Now, did they eat animals? Absolutely. But it was only when they were left with no other choice. The paleodite advocates say we should eat like our cavemen ancestors, yet our closest living relatives are chimpanzees. In fact, there's only a 1.6% difference between chimpanzee DNA and ours. We both have fingers and thumbs and fingernails, a similar reproductive system. Gestation period is nine months. We have 32 teeth, and we're the only species able to use tools. Chimpanzees' diet is 95% plant-based, with the remaining 5% being insects, eggs, and baby animals. They will eat meat, but only if they're left with no other choice. Now, having said that, why aren't there diet books out there telling us we should eat like a chimp instead of a caveman? You know, another thing to take into consideration when looking at the cavemen's diet, there was no refrigeration back then. So any wild animals that they would have hunted would have gone bad after a few hours. That means they had a very limited window of opportunity to eat what they hunted or risk getting sick and dying. However, fruits, vegetables, grains, legumes could be stored and eaten for weeks. This makes yet another strong argument that plant-based foods was the preferred diet for our caveman ancestors. Now, while I agree with some of the things in the paleo diet philosophy, they tend to go against the grain, pun intended. They tell us, stay clear of grains and legumes, which cavemen supposedly didn't eat because of their lack of agriculture techniques. Well, using advancements in modern technology, fossilized remnants of beans and barley have been discovered between the teeth of cavemen. Now, this new evidence debunks the paleo diet proponents' belief that our ancestors didn't eat grains or legumes. If you want to base your diet on eating like our ancestors with a 100% DNA match, why not eat like our great-grandparents? I mean, look at these black and white photos, that, you know, from the early 1900s and the late 1800s. And you know what? You're going to find something pretty interesting. The grandparents, the parents and the grandchildren were thin. I challenge you to find a family portrait today where everyone isn't overweight. In the early 1900s, 3% of the population was overweight. But today... Over 70% of the population is, over, is overweight. So look at the difference. And also, back then, we slept better. We ate cleaner. We didn't inject chemicals, growth hormones, or antibiotics in our food. Forget Neanderthals, people. Let's eat like our great-grandparents did. Now, do I advocate just eating plants? No. Looking at the biology of our body, we can learn some animal foods are good for us, and they should be a vital part of our diet. However, 
there's one particular food group you should cut back on or eliminate, and that's beef. People, you know, they, they feel this need to eat beef for protein. And the truth is, you don't need red meat to have a well-balanced, healthy diet. In fact, research shows healthy people around the world that live to be over 100 eat very little, if any, red meat. We're taught as children that beef is needed for big, strong muscles, yet many professional athletes and Olympic gold medalists are vegetarians. You know, the research clearly shows when you look at it, and I have, uh, beef is a major contributing factor to colon cancer. Colon cancer is the second leading cause of death from cancer in the United States. The most authoritative report on colon cancer risk to date was published by the World Cancer Research Fund International. They concluded almost half of colon cancer could be prevented if people ate less red meat. Eating too much red meat has also been linked to colon cancer by the American Medical Association, the American Cancer Society, Oxford University, Harvard Medical School. Uh, the list goes on and on. But why does red meat cause colon cancer? Interesting, we didn't know until three years ago, the National Academy of Sciences shared a discovery of a unique sugar called NEU5GC, which is found in high amounts in cattle. You see, when humans eat this sugar, it triggers an immune response that leads to chronic inflammation, which has been linked to colon cancer. This inflammatory sugar, it's not found in fish or chicken. Now, compared to other animal foods, red meat is also the most difficult to digest. Fish takes 30 minutes to digest, chicken takes 90 minutes, and beef can take up to five hours. And if you don't eat enough fiber, it can cling to the intestinal walls for weeks undigested. Now, think of undigested meat sitting out in the sun, you know, for a few hours. It's 98 degrees inside your body. You can imagine what's happening. That The, the remnants, they putrefy, which can turn into ammonia and a waste product called uric acid. This acid can destroy the intestinal flora in the small intestines. And when uric acid remnants stagnate in the colon for too long, it will get reabsorbed back into the bloodstream, which contributes to arthritis, hypertension, and increased risk of type 2 diabetes. Also, beef doesn't get broken down in the mouth like it does when a carnivore bites into it. And the number one reason people require the Heimlich maneuver for choking is because a piece of undigested beef has gotten stuck on the way down the esophagus. Humans have very difficult time digesting beef. Okay, let's talk about the second most consumed meat, chicken. You know, there wouldn't be any issues on eating chicken if it weren't for the chicken breeders. They have one goal, folks, to produce the heaviest chicken possible in the quickest amount of time. It's not the health of the chicken that matters, but the size. And to accomplish this, they are fed sulfur drugs, appetite stimulants, and antibiotics. Add to the mix coloring agents and the chemical preservatives, and it really begs the question, are we playing chicken with our health? Because chickens are crammed together in cages and they stand in their own feces and get bitten by each other, the other chickens, they can actually develop bacterial infections. And this can cause major health issues when ingested by humans. In 2014, Consumer Reports found 97% of the chicken breasts tested harbored dangerous bacteria. They analyzed more than 300 raw chicken breasts purchased at stores across the United States, and they found potentially harmful bacteria lurking in almost all of the chicken. Now, to combat chicken from growing bacteria, they act, chicken farmers, they use antibiotics. And research shows that poultry, especially chicken, is a common bridge that allows resistant bacteria to move to humans, taking up residence in the body and causing us to get infections. 
But if you shop carefully and you consume chicken that is pasture-raised, USDA certified organic, it can actually be quite good for you. You know, while red meat is linked to colon cancer, when you look at poultry, research shows quite the opposite. A study published in the American Journal of Gastroenterology shows that eating chicken may actually prevent colon cancer. In this study, more than 1,500 patients underwent baseline colonoscopies to remove existing polyps. They had subsequent follow-up colonoscopies to determine if any of the polyps had returned. Those who consumed diets higher in red meat showed a market increase in developing recurrent precancerous growths, and they're called colorectal adenomas. Individuals consuming diets high in chicken were less prone to this risk. People with the highest risk of advanced adenomas, who also ate the most chicken, had 39% lower risk of these cancer-causing growths. Chicken is low in fat and cholesterol, and it contains three times more polyunsaturated good fat than red meat. A chicken breast has half the fat of a trimmed T-bone steak. But watch out for this skin. Consuming chicken skin actually doubles your intake of saturated fat. So I recommend if you're a chicken eater, remove the skin prior to cooking. Now let's talk about eggs. You know, one of the resistance I hear when it comes to eggs is they cause high cholesterol, Dr. Friedman, and I'm watching my cholesterol. Folks, you've been misled. This is absolutely not true. There exists no scientific evidence showing eggs will cause your cholesterol to increase. According to a 14-year study conducted by the Harvard School of Public Health, there is no significant link between egg consumption and heart disease. In fact, Regular consumption of eggs may help prevent blood clots, stroke, and heart attacks. Now, eggs do contain cholesterol, it's true. However, the egg yolk contains lecithin and choline, which markedly inhibits cholesterol absorption. These ingredients also are lipotropics, fat burners, making the entire egg great for increasing lean muscle. Eggs are also a wonderful source of protein and healthy fats, and they have nine essential amino acids. It's also one of the few foods that contain naturally occurring vitamin D. So if you want to lower your weight or decrease your cholesterol level, eggs should be part of your diet. Eat them. They're healthy. All right, let's talk about fish. Is it good or is it bad? Actually, Fish is one of the healthiest foods you can eat. In addition to being a great source of protein, fish contains omega-3 fatty acids, crucial for fighting inflammation, the underlying cause of chronic diseases like arthritis, Alzheimer's, and heart disease. However, more and more fish are actually being farm-raised, which do not contain healthy fatty acids, and worse, can actually be toxic to humans. They contain artificial dyes, polychlorinated biophenols, which are PCBs, and they're considered carcinogenic. Farm-raised fish are fed soy and corn. You know what that means? That they're also eating the pesticides used in the process of harvesting them. When these chemicals are ingested by fish, they end up in their meat, which is then consumed by humans. And the most commonly farm-raised fish is salmon. In fact, 90% of salmon sold on the market in the United States is farm-raised. You can't trust labels. I know you'll see wild-caught or farm-raised written down. Don't trust them. In Food Sanity, I reveal a Consumer Reports investigation showing how inaccurate labels can be. But... If you play detective, you can see salmon with, uh, for example, salmon with white striations in the meat. That's fat from farm-raised fish. Remember, salmon in the wild, they swim against the current. They're very lean fish. Just like a professional swimmer, they have very little fat, if any. So if you see a bunch of fat in that salmon, it's farm-raised. Okay, you know, when I bring up fish though, to my patients, I cannot tell you how many times the majority will tell me, 
oh, I stay away from fish because I don't want to get mercury poison. You know, uh, <laughs> the truth is, folks, the oceans are not the mercury-laden cesspools we've been led to believe. It is a myth. In Food Sanity, I debunk this popular mercury fish myth by exploring cultures around the world that eat fish daily, sometimes three times a day. And you know what? Their blood tests show no mercury toxicity, and they, they are they're the epitome of good health. Pregnant females, you know, what are we told? Avoid certain types of fish because they supposedly contain mercury that can harm the unborn fetus. Well, there's simply no credible research to support this. In fact, evidence shows quite the opposite. Cultures where pregnant females eat a diet primarily of fish, and that's mostly tuna, have healthier children with higher IQ scores than mothers avoiding fish. Mercury, let me tell you what mercury is. It's a naturally occurring element. It's found in the soil, air, water, and food. We hear about the dangers of mercury in fish, but cattle products contain mercury. So do mushrooms and various other crops in agriculture. High fructose corn syrup used in fruit juices, cereals, salad dressing, condiments. You know what? They contain mercury. No one seems to worry about these items like they do fish. In Food Sanity, I follow the money and I share why fish have become the redheaded stepchild of food. Here's why the mercury in fish is not a concern. Mercury cannot cause harm unless it occurs in extremely high enough amounts to inhibit selenium-dependent enzymes, which naturally protect the cells of the brain. In other words, if fish contains more selenium than mercury, it cancels out the mercury that is absorbed by the body. So in my book, I have a chart of 18 of the most commonly eaten fish. All of them, except the mako shark, have more selenium than mercury. Okay, so play it safe. If you see mako shark on the menu at a restaurant, don't order it. But the other wild-caught fish are good for you and won't cause mercury poisoning. Naturally derived mercury found in fish is not a health concern. Okay, let's chat about pork. You know that old saying, sweating like a pig? That actually couldn't be further from the truth. You see, pigs don't sweat. This can lead to toxins remaining inside their body and ultimately ingested by humans that eat them. In fact, some pig's outer fat layer is so thick and filled with toxins, if a rattlesnake bites a pig, the snake is more likely to die than the pig. I'm actually not a fan of eating pork. That's my own personal preference, but if it's something that you choose to eat, go for the leanest, less fattening and healthiest option, which is the pork loin. The center portion sold as the center loin is the best option with the second best choice being the tenderloin and make sure it's grass fed or free range. And if you're a ham fan and you want to keep it as part of your diet, eat it baked. Prior to baking your ham, make linear slices on the meat and place it on a meat rack under it to allow excessive fat to drip away. Stay away from these smoked pork products. The manufacturers use an artificial smoke flavoring called liquid smoke, which may cause adverse health effects on the liver and kidneys. And stay away from cured pork because it has excessive amounts of salt. In fact, just one single serving of salt cured ham can contain 50% of the recommended sodium intake for the entire day. Sodium nitrate is the type of salt that's used. And when used in cured ham and bacon, it can lead to bloating, hypertension, inflammation, cell damage, and joint problems, just to name a few things. Okay, now it's on to my favorite myth to debunk. Milk, it does a body good. We've heard the saying, is it true? 
No. Despite decades of government and industry propaganda about the health benefits of dairy products, unbiased science proves that cow's milk is not healthy for humans. Contrary to all those milk mustache ads, milk doesn't build strong bones. In fact, research shows milk is a contributing factor to the cause of brittle bones. You know, what bothers me is we're taught as children, if we want to grow up big and strong, we need to drink milk. Yet children that drink milk get more chronic ear infections, have more allergies, or more likely to be overweight and they're at a greater risk of diabetes. Now, when I talk about people, you know, to get off milk, they say, well, Dr. Friedman, how are we supposed to get strong bones? We need our calcium. Well, before milk goes to the grocery store, it's pasteurized, meaning it's been exposed to extreme heat. Now, that heat process is required to destroy bacteria, but it also renders a lot of the milk's calcium content insoluble. It's destroyed during the manufacturing process. Now, what if raw, unpasteurized milk was available? it still wouldn't give you enough magnesium needed for your body to absorb the calcium. The calcium to magnesium ratio in cow's milk is 9 to 1. 90% calcium, 10% magnesium. Most health experts now recommend having a 1 to 1 ratio for bone building. That's 50% calcium, 50% magnesium. Where can you get the perfect 1 to 1 ratio? From plants, the same place cows get their calcium for their strong bones. The same place gorillas get calcium for strong bones. And what about elephants? Clearly the biggest, strongest animal on the planet with strong bones. Where do they get their calcium? From plants, not milk. You know, and when you look at things like almonds, summer squash, sesame seeds, and spinach, they offer almost a perfect one-to-one ratio of bone-building calcium and magnesium. Cow's milk, pasteurized or not, is a lousy source of calcium and magnesium and does not need to be in your diet. It doesn't build strong bones. And another reason why people say we need cow's milk is the protein, right? We hear that. Well, the protein in cow's milk is called casein. Casein from cow's milk is also used to make glue to hold together wood. Think of the cow logo on Elmer's glue. It's also a polymer used to make plastics. Now, if you were to swallow glue, guess what? Your body considers it an invasion and attacks it, right? Well, we we ingest casein, a glue-like substance in milk. Your body attacks it, producing histamines, which causes mucus production that can lead to all types of things. We're talking bronchitis, allergies, asthma, sinus, ear infections, irritable bowel syndrome, diarrhea. The list goes on and on. Numerous studies, including data from the World Health Organization, have also linked consumption of casein with increased risk of heart disease, high cholesterol, and type 1 diabetes. Keep in mind, folks, casein is what makes a 100-pound baby calf grow into a 2,000-pound cow. You know, you've heard the term fat cow. It's it's true, you know. And and when you look at the average human baby weighs less than 8 pounds and we grow into a 170-pound adult, here's a common-sense question for you. Would you use rocket fuel in the gas tank of of your moped? No. Why would you put gargantuan-sized cow fuel inside a human body? It makes no sense. Now, the good news, there's so many delicious dairy-free alternatives out there. You don't need cow's milk. You've got cashew milk, almond milk, hemp milk, coconut milk. You don't need milk from a cow. All right, let's uh, break uh, another big trend I'm hearing is is the gluten-free diet. Wow. You know, people are afraid of gluten and so many people don't even know what what gluten is. You know, and I know I know out there you know a lot of heads are rolling right now, especially these health experts I've interviewed, they consider gluten public enemy number 1. It's the worst thing you should consume, but 
Gluten is a family of proteins. It's found in grains like wheat, rice, spelt, and barley. People suffering from celiac disease, yes, they need to avoid gluten. That's a fact. Approximately 2.4 million Americans have celiac disease out of the 350 million in America. Their immune system, what it does, it attacks the gluten as well as the lining of the gut. Then there's approximately 6 million people with gluten sensitivity, mostly because their gut has been damaged by environmental chemicals called obesogens, which I'm going to cover in a few minutes. How can you tell if, if you suffer from a gluten sensitivity? Trust your gut. If you eat things like whole grain pasta and bread cereal and you feel run down, you're tired, you get a stomach ache, bloating or diarrhea, which seems to happen often, cut back or avoid gluten. But for the rest of you, which is 90% of you, completely boycotting gluten is absolutely not necessary. Whole grain breads and pasta are actually good for you. They offer fiber, protein, vitamins, minerals, and a variety of phytochemicals that will improve your health. You know, whole grains, they have all the parts of the original kernel. They've got the bran, the germ, the endosperm in the original proportions. In refined grains, the bran and the germ are stripped away. So stay away from that option. You know, I find it so disheartening how diet experts and authors of digestive health books are telling people to completely eliminate all whole grains from their diet. Whole grains actually have many digestive benefits that simply can't be ignored because somebody writes this one book that erases 30, 40 years of research. You know, the fiber content keeps bowel movements regular, which can ward off constipation, diarrhea, leaky gut syndrome, diverticulosis. Whole grains also contain lactic acid, which promotes the good bacteria in the large intestines. These organisms aid digestion. They promote better nutrition absorption and can help improve the body's immune system. Wheat contains phenolic acids, which are a type of antioxidant with documented cancer-inhibiting properties. Now, whole grains, they can also help lower triglycerides, uh, which is a major contributor to heart disease. In fact, research published by the Harvard School of Public Health shows that people who eat two to three servings of whole grains daily, they're 30% less likely to have a heart attack or die from heart disease. If you're concerned about your weight, reach for rye bread. The Nutritional Journal published a study in 2009 that showed a breakfast that included rye bread containing gluten helped decrease participants' hunger for eight hours. Another study published last year in PLOS One Medical Journal found that whole grain rye toast also lowers blood sugar surges. Are you still not convinced? I'll share two more. I did the research, folks. I've got so many. Uh, in May of 2017, the British Medical Journal published research conducted by Harvard School of Public Health. They analyzed over 100,000 subjects for 25 years. And during the follow-up period, participants with the highest intake of gluten had significantly lower heart disease than those with the lowest consumption of gluten. In October of 2015, the World Health Organization announced that whole grains containing gluten reduces colorectal cancer by 17%. Now, folks, when was the last time you heard anything good about whole grains containing gluten? The latest grain-free anti-gluten diets have ostracized one of nature's most important food groups, making grains out to be the culinary equivalent to Satan. Make sure when you get it, you look for 100% whole grain on the label. Foods labeled multi-grain or cracked wheat, or you'll see something that says seven grain or bran. They're usually not 100% whole grain products and may not even contain any whole grains. So look at the labels. Okay, let's clear up another big misconception regarding fruits. You know, many experts I've interviewed on the show, they're saying eliminate eating fruit. 
because it contains sugar known as fructose. You know, they believe that fruit creates a sugar overload that can cause obesity, heart disease, and type 2 diabetes. In my opinion, that's taking things way, way too far. Fruit is an important part of the diet. Yes, it is true that fruit contains sugar, but so do vegetables. One cup of sweet potatoes contains six grams of sugar, yet it's the perfect food for diabetics. One stalk of broccoli contains 2.6 grams of sugar. Now, the reason eating sweet potatoes and broccoli is not going to spike your blood sugar is because they contain a lot of fiber, which buffers out the sugar content. So when deciding which fruit to eat, it's important to look at the glycemic index. Glycemic index measures how the fruit you eat will affect your blood sugar levels and how quickly it gets into the system. The best way to keep your blood sugar in balance is to eat fruits that have higher fiber content and a lower glycemic index. Limit your consumption of, let's say, like grapes and bananas and opt for fruits high in fiber that have low glycemic index like apples and blueberries. Even though these fruits are still high in sugar, I mean, blueberries, they have a whopping 15 grams of sugar per cup, but because of their fiber content, the natural fruit sugars release slowly into the body and it won't cause any unhealthy sugar spikes. In spite of their high sugar content, blueberries can actually help normalize blood sugar levels and reduce your risk of diabetes by 23%. Another great option is the apple. They can say a lot of fructose, that's a lot of sugar in an apple, but you know what? They're chock full of antioxidants, vitamins and minerals, and a lot of fiber. And this fiber is called pectin. It buffers out the apple's fructose, keeping you from having these insulin spikes. And research published by the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition show that people who eat an apple a day are less likely to develop diabetes than those who don't eat apples. Yes, it's true. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. However, don't peel those apples because most of that sugar-buffering fiber comes from the skin. So there you have it, folks. Don't give up on fruits. I've never heard of anyone that got too fat to fit in their jeans because they ate too many fruits. It just doesn't happen. Okay, so let's recap. The research shows we should stay away from cows, their meat, and their milk. If you want to eat red meat, you're better off eating bison. It does not contain that inflammatory sugar, NEU5GC. Also, you don't have to worry about antibiotics and growth hormones when consuming bison. If you eat pork, stay away from the fat and always go for grass-fed or free-range. Wild-caught fish are healthy. Organic chicken and their eggs are healthy. I personally I eat a flexitarian diet, and that's the marriage between the word vegetarian and flexible. 80% plant-based and 20% animal products. I follow the real caveman diet. I also follow the diet of those who live healthy beyond 100. All right, I can't end this segment without chatting about weight loss. You know, one of the most common questions I get asked is, which weight loss diet works? And my answer is, it usually surprises people, they all work. Yes, they all work, whether it's eating for your blood type, Atkins, Paleo, Zone, Keto, Nutrisystem, or Weight Watchers. If you follow the program, you can experience weight loss. Unfortunately, the results are usually just temporary, as all of you probably felt. Uh, one of the main reasons why so many different diets initially work is because they all have one thing in common. They change a person's routine. They all promote eating different foods, different ways at different times. And, and whether that's eating great fruits or steak three times a day or changing your portion sizes or going vegan, when you mix up your daily routine, you're going to alter your metabolism. You're going to change your blood glucose levels, which in turn can lead to weight loss. The key, though, is keeping it off. Now, the word diet comes from the Greek word diatia, which means way of living. 
That's what these diets are missing out on. That's the key to achieving permanent weight loss. And in my book, Food Sanity, I share how to get in touch with the true meaning of the word diet, which is your way of living. Now, this doesn't just include eating habits. That's important. But permanent weight loss can be achieved by doing three things. Eating healthy, avoiding obesogens, which are chemicals that can cause weight gain, and getting deep restorative sleep. That's the recipe for success. It's like a tricycle. You need all three wheels, not one, not two. You need three of them. And the first one is avoid white foods. If you want to lose weight, live by the mantra. If it's white, keep it out of sight. Stay away from white foods. And just by doing that, it's going to keep your blood sugar balanced. It's going to increase your energy, help you sleep better, and you're going to lose those unwanted pounds. White foods are basically processed and refined. They include milk and corn and flour, sugar, salt, and things made with those ingredients. There are a few exceptions to the rule. Natural, unprocessed white foods are good. That includes things like cauliflower, garlic, mushrooms, onions, bananas, white fish, and white poultry meat. Now, most of you are probably saying, Dr. Free, but no salt, sugar, flour, and corn. What's there left to eat? Well, actually, you can eat everything you love still. Just substitute the white food. For example, let's look at salt. You know, we hear how salt is so bad for us. Really? I mean, the human body consists of 70% salt water. How can salt be bad for us? You know, if we took the water out of your body and put it into a fish tank, it would sustain sea life. We are living aquariums. We have the same salts that's in the ocean waters. We need it to survive. It keeps our muscles and nerves and heart and brain functioning. Just stay away from white processed salt. That's the key. Instead, go with unprocessed natural salts like pink Himalayan salt or black volcanic Hawaiian salt or Redmond ancient sea salt, which contains over 80 minerals we need like calcium, potassium, iron, magnesium. See, when you use those good salts instead of the white salt, it actually makes you full. Your cells get satisfied. You don't eat as much. And guess what you do? You lose weight. Now, if you want, if you use the white salt, it makes you hungry. You know who knows that? Movie theaters do. That's why they load on the salt on the popcorn. They know you're coming back to the concession stand for jujubes and a large soda because white table salt makes you crave sweets and carbs. Who else knows the white salt increases your appetite? Fast food restaurants. They want you coming back for more french fries and another soda. And what about sugar? Well, instead of white processed sugar, go for stevia, monk fruit, or xylitol from the birch tree. Or use honey. My favorite's manuka honey. It's loaded with minerals, amino acids, and it helps replenish the good bacteria of the stomach. If it's white, keep it out of sight. Live by the mantra. Instead of white processed flour, go for almond flour, quinoa flour, coconut flour. Eat pasta that's made from whole wheat flour. See, you can still enjoy the foods you love. Just substitute white processed items with healthier choices. Uh, number two is you need to get seven or eight hours of deep restorative sleep. There's been so much research showing how lack of sleep contributes to obesity. And the reason for this, when we're sleep deprived, it can wreak havoc on our hormones that affect appetite and metabolism. Two of the biggies are ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin is the hormone that tells your body to eat and leptin tells you when you're full. I call ghrelin the felon because it's like you're out on parole in the kitchen and you're eat, eat, eat. And when you're sleep deprived, you have more ghrelin telling you to eat, eat, eat than you do leptin telling you to, hey buddy, slow down. So it's a perfect storm of, of eating and gaining weight. And another hormone that rises when you're sleep deprived is cortisol. The body releases this hormone in response to heat and it's a major contributor to fat accumulation in the abdomen. Cortisol also increases blood sugar levels. So if you get at least seven hours of deep restorative sleep per night, 
You can actually lose weight. If you're not snoozing, you're not losing. And research published in the American Journal of Epidemiology shows women average just 6.3 hours of sleep per night and men sleep only 5.6 hours. We're sleep deprived. In my book, Food Center, I share why we don't get sleep and I give tips on how to achieve seven to eight hours of deep restorative sleep. And the last one is avoid obesogens. That's another reason people struggle with their weight is because of obesogens. These are chemicals that take control of your metabolic systems causing weight gain. They come from compounds found in certain plastics and pesticides and the hormones that are injected into our livestock. These obesogens, they increase appetite. They disrupt normal development and lipid metabolism, which can lead to obesity. The average person is exposed to over 100 obesogens every day. And I'll just share a couple of them you want to be aware of. It's called biosphenol A, BPA. It's a synthetic estrogen primarily used to harden plastic. It's been shown to cause weight gain, insulin resistance, and it's linked to causing cancer. BPA is found in plastic food and beverage containers, canned foods, bottle tops. This chemical is also found in thermal paper items like receipts, cinema tickets, ATM, credit card receipts, and airline tickets. And, you know, it was interesting. I was at... uh, um, uh, it was Whole Foods, and I saw this guy in front of me. He's eating healthy. You see, he's got organic, non-GMO. He's eating gluten-free. He wants to be healthy. You can see this, and he's got a pot belly. And when he's paying the the cashier, cashier hands him the uh, the receipt. He puts it in his mouth. In his mouth, he reaches in his wallet, takes out his wallet, takes this receipt out of his his mouth, puts it in the wallet. What he did is he contaminated his mouth with these BPAs that makes him obese, puts it in his wallet, contaminated his money. You don't want to touch these things. Have them put it in the bag. And if you do touch it, why wipe your hands? That stuff is causing obesity. <clears throat> Another one is called PFOAs, which is called perfluorooctanoic acid. And it's found in nonstick cookware. Harvard Medical School just did a study a few weeks ago showing how nonstick cookware has been linked to causing obesity. People are overweight. They're showing more PFOAs in their blood than those that are not overweight. So toss away the nonstick cookware. Instead, use ceramic, tempered glass, or stainless steel. Also, antibiotics in chicken and farm-raised fish are obesogens, so avoid those. These antibiotics affect your microbiomes in your gut, and that's been linked to obesity. It has a hard time processing food. few quick tips for avoiding obesogens. Use eco-friendly alternatives to plastic bottles for hot or cold liquids. Stay clear of plastic containers with the number three or seven on the bottom. Those contain BPA. And keep water bottles cool. These hot temperatures increase the BPA, so don't put these water bottles in your car in the, in the heat. Avoid those nonstick cook pans and stay clear of microwave popcorn because the lining contains obesogens. So even if you're eating these lean popcorn with no butter and all that, it could still be making you overweight. All right, so in closing, I just I want to thank all of you, my loyal listeners. So many of you have shared your frustrations and your confusion, which has inspired me to dig deeper in figuring out this culinary conundrum. You know, I don't claim to have all the answers. I remain a full-time student. I'm always learning, but I promise you this. I'm committed to bringing you my common science meets common sense approach to helping you figure out what we should and shouldn't be eating. To get your copy of Food Sanity, How to Eat in a World of Fads and Fiction, go to foodsanity.com. Proceeds from every book go to Feeding America. So not only are you giving a book that shares how to eat, you're helping the misfortunate that can't afford to eat. If you heard some information today and somebody needs to hear this that you know, send them a link to this podcast available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com and peruse our podcast library and share our 
segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Share it. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iHeartRadio and iTunes. Follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at HealthRadioDoc. And for all the latest happenings, announcements, videos, audios, and healthy recipes, sign up for my free newsletter at drdavidfriedman.com. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.